Welcome back to another episode of a podcast soon by a software engineer. I'm your host, Perrin. Today, boy, are we lucky. We've got Nicole on the show. Nicole, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing great. I mean, like, I'm usually pretty excited, but this time, like, it's an understatement that I'm excited because just everything that you've done so far has been so intriguing, but I'll let that first suspend a bit. But for the people that don't really know what you're up to nowadays, like, can you give us a brief description of who's Nicole and what you've been working on? Oh my god, how do I make a short version of that? What I'm working on now is, I guess I, I work as a software developer, but on the side, in my free time, I teach math and coding, especially to the CGEP level students. And um, yeah, that's something I'm really passionate about. We could probably talk about that more afterwards, but those are pretty much the two things that keep me the most busy nowadays. Yeah, that's totally fair. Because I mean, like when I was saying, like in terms of giving back, you probably embody it just because you haven't been doing it like just for the past couple months or whatever. You've been doing it for years as far as I know. Like, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, we're still quite young. And like compared to the actual amount of stuff that you've given back and taught other people through tutoring and coding, like this, it's a significant chunk of what you did. So I think that's definitely something that is super cool. And uh, we could definitely dive into how to get into that because I think that's always been at the back of my mind, at least. Mm-hmm. And uh, trying to do it more is always something that uh, I'm interested in. So... For the, I mean, this is a fun fact, actually, uh, for, <laughs> for the people who are actually interested, like, I think you and I went to the same university, but also went to the same elementary school, so <laughs> yeah. shout out to all the uh, St. Luke people out there, shout out to all the McGillionaire out there, because, uh, you know, it's a small world at the end of the day. It's so funny, if you think back to elementary school and how long ago it was, it's just like, it's hard to wrap my head around. Yeah, the one thing I could put into, like, this whole mix is that, like, we end up doing the tech path and, like, working yeah. with computers at the end, and, like... There are, I guess, like, prob- there probably will be similarities, but also, like, very different, you know, approaches or stories that has come up. Because, like, yeah, we both work as, like, software engineers at the end of the day, but people always think that it's always the same thing all across, I guess, the industry. But uh, I'm more than excited as well to actually check out the differences <laughs> in terms of what, you know, probably what you've done right, what you've done wrong, what I've done wrong, because I definitely could list a million things on that. <laughs> but... If we actually want to break down a bit and like just, I mean, this is a pleasure of mine, actually, to like really poke at your brain. Let's figure out like what kind of influences you've had, like, I guess, since the early days of your life. Do you remember like any like during the childhood? Like, was it really like tech oriented? And I was playing a lot with technology <laughs> or how did that look like? Oh, my God. So I'm kind of happy you asked that. But also I have a very embarrassing story slash sad story. So I didn't grow up around anybody who was in higher education or technology, any of that kind of stuff. So really, I wasn't exposed to anything like that. And some people could see it as a disadvantage, but I just think it's interesting that I I still ended up where I did. So the story that I, I think is hilarious is when I was young, like elementary school level, I have this memory of myself trying to sort a deck of cards. (laughs) You're going to find this funny as a computer scientist. I just was really fascinated. I tried to sort a deck of cards without putting them down on the table, if that makes sense, like by holding them in my hands. And I realized that, oh, I would have to go through the entire deck and find like the smallest one and put it at the front and then do that again and find the second smallest one and continue. And then I I told myself, oh, what if I allow myself to make one pile on the table to help me out? So then I started keeping like the red cards in my hand and put the black ones on the table. And and then I sorted the ones in my hand and then I sorted the ones on the table and then I put them together. And I think that it's very telling sort of anecdote because I definitely naturally had an inclination to like problem solving and you know, that kind of mindset, but I didn't know what computer science was, which I think is sad. And so that's one reason why I like teaching um, intro to coding, because I'm trying to find those students who have a natural, they're naturally sort of interested in that, but they just don't know the field exists. Yeah, hopefully that makes sense. Basically, I'm just trying to say like, I, I did naturally like computer science style problems, but I, I just didn't know about it. Yeah, I think, like, even as a kid, for that kind of, in like, being intrigued into that kind of stuff, like, you keep on saying the word sad. A lot of times, like, it it's is. more relative, if you know what I mean. Like, it's, like, sad, sure. A lot of kids do dumb stuff, and a lot of kids yeah. are really oblivious to what they do. But it just depends on, like, what the actual thing is. Some people are dumb by, like, whatever, jumping a fence and falling off of it or something. Totally didn't happen to me. Um, but a lot of the other times, when you're actually able, able to look back at the different, I guess, like, that's a really good story to begin with. Because, like, when we talk about sorting a deck of cards, my question in my head was, like, 
well, how did you figure out the colors? Like, what colors come before the other one? And like, oh, I would do it differently every time. I was just kind of getting a feeling for what was what would work, you know, what was easiest. And so sometimes I put the colors together. Sometimes I put the suits together. Um, it just yeah. <laughs> depended on the day. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, no, no, it doesn't mean anything depending on the day. <laughs> That's actually really funny. I actually really like that story because um, I'm pretty sure a lot of us would have like some similar story in terms of like, but we'd be a lot more oblivious in terms of we wouldn't realize years down the line that this actually had, a, I guess, an influence in terms of what we yeah. do nowadays. Um, so for people who maybe are not in computer science and listening to this, the reason it is relevant, that story, is because sorting is very big sort of topic in computer science but so if someone heard that and it was like what does that have to do with computer science well that's what it has to do with it that's so good um and like we're not going to dive into the quick bubble sort like unless you want to but as, as far as i know <laughs> like after doing this in uni and everything like i'm probably going to try to stay away from it if i had lived like hundreds of years ago i could have been the father of bubble sort yeah i think that's just unlucky <laughs> for humanity at this point Somebody make us born in the right era and then I we'll... I'd be, I'd be inventing so much stuff that doesn't make any sense. I'd be the inventor of like poutine as far as I know because I yeah. love like potatoes and all that. But I, just, I was just born a couple hundred years too late. So um, I guess like from that point then, like elementary school, kind of a blur for myself. Um, I do remember like I did have a lot of like tech influences in there. Um, my dad was a big computer guy. So like when the 95 came, well, the Windows 95 came out kind of thing, like that was like my childhood. So... Did that kind of continue in terms of like you always had this like intrigueness of getting into not specifically algorithm, but just like, you know, solving daily problems at the end. Did that actually happen during high school? Because I do know um, for myself, I had to choose like a path in high school. It was either between like history or like science or something. Was that similar or? It's, it's funny you mentioned that your your dad was big into computers because like I said, I had no tech influences, you know, like I was interested in computer games, but I guess everybody was at the time because it was something new. But yeah, I just, I still didn't, I didn't know what was out there. And then in high school, I, I was very good in math and I liked math a lot. And I think looking back, it was the most similar style of class to computer science. And because I didn't know what computer science was, I think I gravitated towards math. And then in Sejep is when I had a really, really great math teacher who just gave me so much confidence. Um, I think everybody can think back to that one teacher they had that really like left an impact on them. And um, that teacher sort of encouraged me to sign up for some math competitions, which I ended up doing pretty well in. And, um, and then I ended up um, choosing math as one of my majors in university. And my second major was biology, um, mostly because I just didn't know what was out there. And um, the way I ended up getting into computer science is because I had a mandatory, I think it's an elective, but I don't know if you can have a mandatory elective, so I don't know what the term for it is, but I was registered into like an intro to coding course. And I really remember looking at it on my schedule and thinking, what could this be? I just what are they going to teach us about computers? I, I, at that time, I had no clue. For me, what was going through my mind, I was like, computers, emails, internet. I was like, what could this be? And then anyways, once I actually got to the course and it reminded me of those like logical problems I would enjoy as a kid, I remember thinking, oh my God, this is definitely the topic that I want to continue to study. And it all just made sense. And lucky for you, there's nothing short of math in computer science nowadays. So oh, yeah. I think you're really living that, that dream over there. And um, I think what was really cool is that the whole buildup until like later in university, as in like past the first semester, yeah. or what I mean by that is that like the, the idea of actually being a software engineer and being a computer scientist, like didn't really like, wasn't obvious as you were growing up, I guess. Um, yeah. I could probably speak for myself a little bit on that as well, is that I was quite a late adopter of getting into CS uh, program funny enough when you're talking about like why would anybody choose like math and biology for, like, <laughs> i know <laughs> their university degree like i did math and physiology for like one semester before realizing that like i definitely don't belong in there so um it's so weird that uh even though if you had or didn't have that much like tech influence growing up so the case would be i probably had a little bit more you know dad was always building some random computers around uh you still end up having this attraction this thing geared towards it so 
But then again, I'm pretty sure like your love for math is so much more than mine. But then it really does help, uh, you know, any engineers out there nowadays, if you have these like concept of math behind you, like it really does help. One of the, I guess like one thing I definitely do want to dive into, because when you mentioned math competition, competition, <laughs> sorry, like you hear about this, like, what is that about? I know oh a lot of people God. like end up probably during that time, like wasn't as interested. But if we look back and think about like, how does the whole thing work? I want to get into it. So can you like just, you know, give us a bit of context in terms of like, how do you, I guess, how do you sign up? What are they competing on? <laughs> like, what's a math competition? I want to know. Oh, this is so funny. So basically that teacher who, who I really liked, he was a great teacher. He, he knew about the competitions, you know, so you really have to have a teacher who is involved in that sort of scene. And he would receive an envelope by mail with the exams in it. And we would go to like a special room. Sometimes it was even on the weekend. You know, when the time starts, he would take them out of the envelope, give them to the students. He would watch us do it. And um, when the time was up, he would mail them back to, I don't know, the organization who, who organized it. And they would like calculate the scores. Sometimes it would be like per province and sometimes it would be like countrywide. And then you would find out sort of where you rank compared to the other students. And the questions are sort of like you don't need any advanced math knowledge. Like they weren't calculus questions. They were tricky, I would say maybe geometry questions a lot of the time or sort of just like like you could definitely solve them with basic math, but you needed a little bit of creativity to, to figure them out. A lot of angles, a lot of shapes and stuff like that. I feel like when you mentioned that, like, that gives a lot of, like, trauma to a lot of people going through interviews nowadays for, like, tech yeah. jobs, like, entry level. <laughs> like, I feel like I kind of saw the like, same thing where, like, I could totally imagine, like, one of the tech interviews nowadays, just have somebody pull out an envelope and be like, oh, oh you have an so answer funny. to do this. Like, if anybody decides to do that, I wouldn't blame them because I guess, like, that'd be a, a more interesting angle to the problem instead of just, like, you know, sending a link and filling out the interview questions. So, you know, if those tech companies did exist, maybe... 20 years ago or so maybe that's how they would have done it i don't know <laughs> yeah 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 you just and you can imagine like it's a like yellow envelope right it's the ones that like you see in the movies with, like those super sealed files and everything yeah. that's actually really really cool um that wasn't i guess required at the end of the day like when you're talking about cgip you have your like regular course load and yeah. then you have these i guess like extracurricular activity that i guess could benefit any of us um was that at abbott actually or yeah it was at abbott mm -hmm. hey shout out to abbott Oh, I yeah. didn't realize you went to Abbott because I went to Abbott as well. And uh, we went to all the same schools. Yeah. For the people not familiar with Montreal, I think like CGIP is basically grade 12 and first year of university kind of stuck together. And that's like its own school. So um, that's kind of like a, I guess, a funny period of everybody's life where you change school from high school to CGIP and then CGIP to university into that. For Abbott, like doing, doing sciences there at the end of the day. It was very different than high school to begin with. I know what I'm going into it. I don't even know if anybody's interested in it, but I do remember like the sciences over there did, I guess, have a positive impact on becoming a software engineering. Would you agree with that? Or So at Abbott, I didn't take any computer courses, but I know that if you were interested in a topic, it was very easy to find teachers who would support you. That's the way I see it. I think they were very, like the departments were all very open and welcoming, I guess that's the word. So yeah, whatever your interest was, I think you could find resources easily. At least that kind of explains why nowadays you would kind of be respecting the same, right? You end up being like super open and resourceful if anybody needs it. So <laughs> glad that's continuing on. Um, the other thing that I, I do want to like, I guess, pick your brain a little bit more about is uh, you kind of mentioned that computer sounds found you at the end of the day, um, just because you didn't really expect into getting into that. And then probably as you just like just did more stuff thing we could be uh, talking about is like the transition like how how did the whole process go from being into your first year of university and just having this determination this like I guess leap saying like all right I'm gonna switch and I'm gonna do this yeah that's so funny I'm actually like I know it's audio but I was like smiling while you were saying that because thinking back it's just it was just crazy I I did my first computer science course and I'm kind of lucky in some ways that I'm naturally the type of person that never set limits for myself. You know, I never tell myself something's too difficult or not for me. So I think naturally when I when I enjoyed computer science, I, I didn't think too hard about it. You know, I was like, I could definitely do this. And I, all I need to do is switch programs. And I went to see the academic advisor. And I remember it so clearly, like that day was career day for the biology students 
And I walked down the hallway. I had to pass through all of these like biology students to get to the academic advisor. And I was in biology at that point. And I just thought to myself like, yeah, I'm definitely making the right choice. So I walked past them, I got to the academic advisor office and I told him, you know, I'm in a double major of math and biology. I would like to switch the biology portion to computer science. What do I have to do? And he said to me, computer science is really hard. I don't know if that's a good idea. When he said that, I just knew I had to, I had to change and I had to succeed in it just to prove him wrong because I didn't like his comments at all saying like underestimating me, I guess. So it just made me want to change even more. Yeah, I, I want to echo the bit where it's like when it's like no limit at the end of the day, like that instance of you realizing that this is something that I want to do, this is something that I like doing. And I feel like if you're able to say that and being able to go through with that decision, that is a significant inflection point in your life, a pivot in your yeah. life. That's probably Gavin O'Leary would say. <laughs> um, I think that is definitely a better, I guess, story than how I changed into computer science. I just went online and I clicked the drop down. I was like, yeah, I'll change it to computer science. So um, really, really glad to hear your take on that one. Yeah, I was going to say, it's actually quite funny because I think like um, doing the CS undergrad at McGill, actually, I don't remember like the super emphasis on finding bug. It was like, it was one of the things that like, I, okay, I'm going to put this out there is that like, I've had conversation where I've never been like the biggest fan of undergrad degrees in computer science. Like, Yes, I know a lot of people didn't have the, I guess, luxury of doing it. And the people who have done it, some of them have really, you know, gone off and done really well. I guess, like, I'm just going to speak for myself in terms of being in this gray area of, like, if I look back at all the, I guess, like, CS grad courses. Yeah, they're great. They give you loads of fundamentals. They give you loads of, like, understanding of how databases work and how, you know, uh, architecture works in between at the end. But the level of practicalness has, I feel like, has been missing a bit. So in terms of, like, knowing how to, like, debug efficiently and, like, using all kinds of technologies and... As I was saying, like fixing bugs and finding where I, I feel like that has been somewhat of a disconnect of what I've learned yeah. during CS. I, I don't blame them because I guess like a lot of them is meant so that you, I guess you go into a lot more academia at the end. Is that kind of like the, the look you had on it or was it like, I guess, different? No, I absolutely agree with you. And I think a lot of employers need to reevaluate, I guess, their expectations of new grads when they're hired because I keep hearing this like, we are taught computer science at the end of the day. So it is like there is a big gap between the degree, uh, like a computer science degree, especially at McGill, and the practical skills of when you're going to be hired as a software developer. And I'm speaking a little bit from my own experience because I know that when I started working, I was a little bit like disoriented and I was like, oh, wow, this is a little different than what I had learned, you know, for the last three years. But you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's almost like they're different topics completely. Yeah, I, I always keep on nitpicking the examples of like Git, for example. Like, yeah, we mm -hmm. did do a bit of Git during during university, but like it, in terms of how significant it is nowadays for like, I guess, a lot of people after they graduate university, I feel like they could have a complete chapter on it. So, um, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. We could always like improve it, but I don't want to discard all the other stuff that we got to learn through it. So all the validation stuff. I think there was a great validation course in, in terms of like white box testing and black box, black box testing. Sorry. So as much as I enjoy ripping into the whole program, I do want to give it its benefit. And for the people who are considering getting into computer science, like, yes, you will get a lot out of it. If you didn't do one, uh, you shouldn't consider that as a as a crutch, I guess. Like, people who hasn't gone through the computer science, there's a lot of different other methods of either learning that kind of material or even just, like, the other option that is quite cool now is, like, boot camps and, I guess, like, these, these courses that do it. Um, do you have any opinions on, I guess, like, tech boot camps and all that? Yeah, so, well, okay, first of all, I personally, I personally prefer the computer science degree to, like, learning more practical skills. I mean, I know you're saying, like, you would have preferred to, I guess, learn more practical skills. I, I enjoy, like, the theoretical aspect of computer science, even though it is not practical. I, I really enjoy that. Um, in terms of boot camp, it's a really, really great option for people who want to, you know, kind of fast track themselves to be in a position where they can write good code and applications and stuff like that. So it's definitely a good option. You just have to find a good one. I think some are of lower quality than others. So you just have to find a, a legitimate one and, it, and it's a great option. Yeah. And I kind of really do like the process where it's like, if you have to do your own research, your own due diligence for a boot camp, I mean, that's basically the equivalent of your own research for doing like which university kind of fits what your needs. 
I think that, like, if you're investing a bit more time into doing that before I actually get into it, I think that's probably a good idea at the end of the day. So, now that, I guess, like, we covered a lot of the academia part, I feel like that actually did end up exponentially being a lot more influential towards the later part of, I guess, your education. So what I mean by that is, like, obviously during elementary school and high school, like, that was just what everybody did. But I guess, like, as you got more specialized, as you got into, like, the CS degrees and all that, that was where the, oh, boy, am I doing, like, computer science and software engineering at the moment. So um, when when you got to that point, I guess, like, I mean, congratulations, we graduated. (laughs) What did, what did that look like? I know a lot of people, even not in computer science, they were always trying to figure out, like, what's the next step? Like, do I, do I you know, try to find a job or whatever? Or actually, one thing that could be interesting is, um, did you have internships during that CS uh, undergrad degree? Or I did. I had, like, an informal internship, I guess you can say. It wasn't part of the program, but I just, um, I had, like, a contact who worked at that company, and I got hired as sort of, like, um an internship during my last semester of school. So I was going to school either two days and three days working or the opposite, I don't remember. But that was um, really good experience. I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, and one thing that is actually cool is that like how much of that, I guess, internship experience was similar to, I guess, your first role. We could dive into the specific of like, like your first role later, but I guess like, was it quite similar in terms of like a day-to-day, I guess, real life software engineering job? No, it was completely different. And I know at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned, oh, we could talk a little bit about our mistakes. I think my first real job was the wrong choice for me. I wasn't aware at that time that there are different paths you can take with a computer science career, I guess. And I I ended up taking the job that sort of had the best, I don't know, they do it on purpose. You know, they try to get you with the benefits and the travel and all that stuff. I was like, hey, this sounds cool. And I, I accepted the offer. And then it ended up being such a boring job. It was like configuring websites. Like it was so bizarre. And I it just was not... If I could go back, I would not have wasted my time doing that because I feel like I wasn't learning much. It was very repetitive and I was capable of doing so much more, I guess. It was very boring. I just didn't know at the time, you know? So speaking of mistakes, that was one of them. I think people should really speak to people in the field before choosing a job and figure out, you know, what kind of path they want to take because there are lots of options out there. I think that's a lot more relatable and common that uh, I guess we can imagine at the end of the day when you have these descriptions of like being system admin has a lot of poking at the computer at the end of the day or something like, you know, there's a lot of like vagueness to it. And yes, I agree with you that doing your own research, but there's a point where, you know, the blur line, as much research as you do, you don't really know at the end of the day until like day one of getting into the job, whether it's a software engineering job or not. Because I guess from my experience, like we could probably say it's, I guess like it's quite blurry. I don't think I've ever understood fully what I was going to do until the first day of actually sitting there and like having a computer and all that. So uh, I definitely can't blame anybody going through that. But after realizing after a couple of years, I think that's definitely like the important part. And from that point though, as in like you already end up having a good baggage of like whether math competition experience or even just like helping out uh, during during uni or like for your CS degree. If we talk about like when you dove into like your first software engineering job, what did that end up looking like? Like, how did you get it? How did you get that? Because I feel like a lot of people didn't understand how to go from jump from degree to actually getting into like a job in the field. Yeah, I was I was lucky in some senses. We had um. Well, you went to McGill too, so I don't know if you ever attended the career fair. I went to the career fair and um, I had several companies reach out to me before I even graduated to interview, and from there I had some offers that I could choose between. So I was pretty lucky. That's really cool. Did you actually like take time to prepare how to like interview or like I, I do know a lot of um programs kind of included of it in terms of like how what you should prepare for these like kind of interviews and everything. Um, did you did you spend a lot of time doing it or I, I was not prepared at all. Being fresh out of a CS degree, I think whenever they asked sort of an algorithmic question or anything, like it was super fresh in my mind. So it was it was easy. I feel like nowadays if I had to do one of those interviews, it would be a lot trickier. Like I would have to prepare, but Back then, it was just, it came naturally. That means that uh, you're actually keeping up with the material. Which, yeah. <laughs> um, that's funny. And um, so I guess, like, I mean, congratulations again. We keep on congratulating, like, ourselves, like, from years back, which is always fun. So that first engineering job at the end of the day, like, what did that look like in terms of, like, team-wise? Was it your expectation of, like, that that crazy, you have a blank canvas build on top of the world kind of thing. Like, what kind of technologies is that into? Like, these are all the questions that I always always have for uh, a new opportunity, a new role in your life. It was 
it was overwhelming, to be honest, because when I had my internship, I was working on such small projects and they were almost self-contained. So there wasn't much I had to think about outside of what I was actually writing in terms of code. But in my first job, it was bigger teams and there was code that was already written by other people who were no longer in the company. And there was a lot to just wrap my head around and I was not expecting that or ready for that. And I just, it was very different. It was very overwhelming. But, you know, you end up figuring it out and nothing is permanent. You know, you can always switch jobs if you're not happy. And we're very lucky to be in a field where there's such a high demand for developers that if it's not for you, you can probably find another job very quickly and, and continue on. Yeah. And then like just using the knowledge that you've got from your previous experiences to make, yeah. I guess, like even better decisions. Better choices. Like, oh. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then like getting into this field, that field or whatever. One thing that uh, I can actually try to figure out is... What kind of platform was it? I think that's probably one of the bigger questions I had when I graduated was that, uh, yes, as a CS degree, like it's still a vast field. Like some of them, some of some of us get into like, you know, DevOps. Some of us get into the mobile world. Some of us get into like the web platform. Um, do you remember like what was the route that you ended up taking after, I guess, like your CS degree? Did you jump into, well, I personally went into web. So what did that look like? Okay, yeah. So my first job was mostly like Java back-end spring boots type of uh, situation, which I, again, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And at the time also, you know, um, in McGill, Java is like the primary language that you use when you're learning a lot of the computer science sort of um, data structures and algorithms, like you're always using Java to implement them. So when they explained the job to me, I was like, oh, Java, yeah, I know Java, I could do this. But it, it wasn't, like I said, it was very repetitive and I just didn't enjoy it. I felt like I was capable of, of doing so much more. My second job was way more interesting because I was actually getting to design the projects, I guess, before coding them. And then we could actually choose um, different platforms and different languages depending on the project. So I think that was a lot more fun. And also um, it was very product oriented, which I enjoyed um, because I don't know, I guess my experience with tutoring and stuff made me really in touch with people and people's needs. And so I really enjoyed getting to tailor, I guess, the projects to real users and products and stuff like that. So that was more enjoyable. That was a better choice. But my first job, like I said, it was just so dry and I really didn't like it. Yeah. I mean, even hearing from the fact that like having these like high impact projects really just gives you the drive. Like I think that's something that not everybody ends up noticing or appreciating. So I think nowadays, like when you talk about the stuff you work on and that it could impact like, you know, thousand millions of people for like a single line of co-change. It's really scary. But <laughs> when you get to learn to embrace it, as you were describing there, where it's like you, you do have projects tailored to a specific crowd, I guess, and then being able to, I guess, start from nothing and then just like having an actual product at the end. This is all just software. I think I'm, I'm assuming it's all software. Like it's not an actual concrete product. At no, the no, end. it's all software. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really satisfying. As, as in, like, it sounds really geeky that we're just staring at these, like, whatever bits and we're just saying, like, this is really cool. Like you said, it's absolutely crazy that you can write code, which, like you said, is just really a bunch of bits and it ends up being something that can help people or become a product that people use. It's absolutely insane. That's actually really cool that as you were transitioning, I guess, like to, to your second role at the end of the day, like, this kind of surge of you know what you want to do, you know what you contribute to any kind of team or project you want to work with was that kind of the same field slash industry at the end of the day or was it like a, a completely no. separate set of problems completely different completely like worlds apart and that's what I wanted so yeah it was just completely different that's actually really cool and then what what kind of I guess what kind of problems did you end up dealing with and it was like I mean like every industry has a different problem at the end of the day uh what was uh the second role uh what was the industry of that one in I was in I was working at a bank. It was one of the big banks. And so a lot of the products that we were creating were financial products. So either ways of taking out loans, um, credit models, anything that involved data, like transactional data. Yeah, basically anything that is related to finance, which I think a lot of people don't realize there is a lot, you know, going on with um, with banking and finances. So that was really interesting role. I liked it a lot. 
Yeah, that's actually really cool because I do remember that uh, somebody was trying to understand what finance is, and it's just as vast, if not more, than when we say like computer science at the end of the day. It sounds like a weird comparison, but like you know, when we kind of break down uh, computer science, you have like the different fields, right? DevOps, uh, site reliability, security, uh, software engineers. Well, I mean, they're all software engineers at the end of the day, but there's front end, back end, database management, and like this, like you just go on and on and on with the list. In finance, you kind of have a similar thing. When you're mentioning, like, mortgages, then you talk about, like, oh, different yeah. kind of loans or different kind of products and all that. Like, that is basically endless. And then when you talk about, like, the investment side to it and all the, like, the front of the house and back of the house and, like, what is going on? I don't know. I'm not I'm not even finance, but you end up getting exposed to a bit of this. Be like, okay, it's basically shaving the yak. <laughs> I was going to say, you already know a lot more than most people because a lot of people just see it as, oh, it's just transactions. But you can have applications used by internal employees and then you can have applications used by people like me and you and then applications used by like businesses small businesses medium businesses and like you said the investment side is really huge very huge yeah and the one story i always end up breaking every time anybody talks about like tech and finance is uh have you ever watched a movie office space no it doesn't ring a bell all right, I'm just going to spoil a tiny bit of it because it's really hilarious. But um, there's always a bit where, you know, whenever there's transactions, there's like decimal points. But in, I guess, currency, most of the time we go up to pennies or something. But I'm guessing in finance, you don't stop there, right? There's like points after the pennies. And the thing is, how do you handle this? Or I'm not asking like an actual, I don't, I'm not expecting an actual answer. But I'm just thinking about like, did you have any like crazy minutious have to look into the decimal points way past pennies? Or was it just... Uh, I guess, me quoting from a movie of expecting this to happen. So from what I was working on, no, we had really like the two decimal points, like in a regular dollar amount. But now that you bring it up, probably in, in the investment side, sorry, in, in the investment side, they probably have more decimal points or there are probably some areas where it has to be more precise. Yeah, I mean, this is just a random tangent because I do the, do the office space. We talk about that a lot. So uh, that's really funny. Um, if we talk about something that is, I guess, relatable to not just the finance, finance industry, sorry, but like to basically any teams, whether it's a startup in, in the food industry or whatever, what did the, I guess, development flow look like? So, for example, I think the really standard one that people think about is nowadays you would write your code, then they would go through CR and depending on how your QA setups or whatever before it goes into live, like that's kind of like the development cycle I've probably been more experienced with it uh, with for the past couple of years. Was that kind of similar in, I guess, um, during that time when you're working at a, I guess, a bank that actually has like, you know, quite a quite an implemented system or? Yeah. So the thing about the bank is um, there is, like I said, many different applications serving different purposes and different people. And the team that I was working with, we actually did not put any code into production. It was more of... Um, what's considered innovation, I guess. So it was more proof of concepts. And in that case, you can be much more relaxed with the testing and nothing was ever put into production. So it was more just, we were personally testing ideas to see if they could become products. Oh, I'm actually like this completely clicked that yes, there are these like research side to to big companies where it's like they they have these uh they they are building stuff, but I guess you kind of have this security net of not directly affecting the exactly. the user in the next second that yeah. you deploy it. It's so funny because like yeah, I, I think if I if I have to look back for myself, like actually during this whole couple of years, like everything I've done, I feel like every time I hit production, there's always a panic. There's yeah. always a thing where it's like, did I touch this? Did somebody else touch it? So yeah, that's actually really cool to, to have this like a bit of contrast. I might I might try that out for my next one if I think about it. I'll probably just go into a job where uh, nobody lose their mind every two seconds when the deploy goes out. That's actually uh, really, really fun. Um, in terms of working with non-eng during that time, so uh, I think like other other people that I end up dealing with quite often is like product managers, designers, um, people from different teams like the sales was that, I guess, like a like a constant interaction that you also had during that time? Yeah, um, from from I've so I've had like three jobs, and that job was where I had the most interaction. Which I'm the type of person that I love interacting with people, so it was very, it was very energizing. I definitely like talking to people and bouncing ideas off of people, and um, yeah, that was one of the pros for sure. That's actually really cool because I, I know a lot of people like. I mean, people have their preference at the end of the day. I know some engineers who just end up like love having 
their own time and building their own ticket and have everything laid out. And then other people would have more of these interactions where I've talked to other people and figuring out what the reasons why we're implementing this as opposed to just like do it at the end of the day. <laughs> um, and then like, I guess from the transition from that role to um, your, I guess, it's, is it your current role nowadays? I uh, know. So now I work in a different position. And um, like you described, it's a little more isolated. It's a little more pure development. And I'm always jealous of hearing about that. <laughs> in a world where you can really build anything and test it out and have these actual data set at the end of the day and see yeah. uh, what, what the outcome is. I guess that's really satisfying. Are you able to say that when you release something that like when it goes well, it's like. Yeah, it's just it's like we mentioned earlier, it's crazy when the pieces come together and it just works. It's just something that someone who doesn't code will not understand. But there's something about it like, oh, yeah, I did that piece by piece. I did that. Well, sometimes you're on a team, but mostly you're on a team. It's just it's that moment where you're like, wow, it really came together. It's very in it's crazy. Yeah, I don't know that feeling of stuff working. Oh. So. <laughs> I'm obviously messing. No, even if, you know, it's not perfect, it's working, right? Yeah. And the things like with the, I guess like as, as you're going with like these different roles and now we're talking about this in your position, did you always bring the same technology from one to the other? So I, I do know that Miguel had a big emphasis on Java. Like <laughs> shout out to Java though. Like nothing wrong with it. A lot of people love it and a lot of people, I guess, hate it at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, I guess like from you were saying the first one, you probably did a bit of Java and then the second one was still Java related as well. Did that carry on with, uh, I guess, your current position? Yeah, I still work primarily in Java. But with that said, I don't know if moving forward, I want to continue to work in Java. I mean, like everything, it has its pros and cons and I feel uh, kind of maybe tired of it. But yeah, currently working in Java for the moment. Yeah, and I obviously I don't blame you for the people working with different technologies. Uh, first of all, how they're always, I guess, ever-growing, and there's always a new one coming out. So depending, I guess, on the need on, uh, if you're working on the server side or if you're working on the front-end side, like depending on what your actual problem is, um, that's, I guess, like will influence on your appreciation or if you want to explore more different, I guess, languages out there. Um, yeah. While we're speaking of languages, actually, like that's actually quite interesting in terms of like that that um is that a, a major concern for you for your i guess like decision on what you want to do or what you did what i'm trying to say is that a lot of times it like i feel like software engineers really look at languages as like being agnostic like we don't really care about what language at the end of the day like we end up caring more about how things work i was trying to figure out like how did that actually impact like the different decisions you've made so my previous role at the bank was like every few months a different language a different technology a different framework and it really taught me like you said that the language itself doesn't really matter when you know what to do i guess you you can really easily pick up a new language exactly and so for larger projects i would say the experience in a language would matter but if you're just coding something on the fly it it doesn't matter what language you pick it's it's very easy to look at the documentation and go, oh, these are the similarities. This is what I need for this situation and get it done. Yeah. And I think it's just reassuring for people to say that, yes, you should have a language that you're comfortable with and that if you need a problem whipped up in the next, whatever, 30 minutes, hour, like you should have something that let you do that. But when we talk about like engineers that have been working like a couple of years, at least in the industry, like a lot of times it really doesn't matter which language you end up knowing at the end of the day. Um, people will nitpick the script languages that don't have any, I guess, data types with people hate on JavaScript or not having any of the uh, types to that. But it's at the end of the day, it's really on you to look back and realize what you don't know about it, what you should fill out, and then uh, use it for the different, I guess, opportunities and roles that you get to, to work on nowadays. So, and I guess like for your current position, um, is it, it's not in the bank anymore, I'd imagine, because I guess like the in the bank, there was a lot of like security and a lot of like revision and logging in terms of what's happening. I, th I guess in, uh, what the realm of problems you're looking at nowadays in terms of your current position so i still work in a relatively high security position and like we were talking about earlier about mistakes and deciding what you like i think i do really enjoy working with like the sort of what do i how do i say that? like this the category of coding i guess or like the direction i want to take in my career i really enjoy the high security sort of environment i guess and so i still work in a relatively high security position and it's so cool i really I really like it. I'm currently working on an internal web application, and that's kind of been my onboarding project. And yeah, we'll see in the next while what I end up working on in terms of projects, but so far that's what it's been like. 
having this path of going from these industry, I guess, from like working in a bank and then knowing all these like good practices really yeah. is a lot more significant than uh, than anybody could imagine, than I would have imagined back a couple of years, you know? One of the things that I guess during this whole time, even like working like, I guess, like a nine to five or like your daily job, you were running a lot of stuff on the side as well. So like when we were talking about all these um, tutoring and coding classes and everything, like how did that slot in into, I guess, your very, very busy schedule? Oh my god tutoring honestly it's the kind of thing that I keep trying to walk away from and I just can't I just I'm so drawn to it like I said I I was you know that student that didn't know about coding and I feel so I don't know I feel it so personally that I want to expose more students to it and so that's why I teach the intro to coding course it's it's 10 hours long the first intro course not all at once, but in total, it's 10 hours. And I just feel, you know, people can try it. If they don't like it at all, that's totally fine. You just, you know, it's 10 hours of your life. It's not the end of the world. But if you do end up realizing, like I did, oh, this is something I, I liked, but I didn't know it it was it existed, then that's like, that's priceless, you know? So I really feel like just exposing people to it and having people realize what computer science is and what it means to actually code something and how it's not it's not difficult um in, initially at least and it's not really i i just want people to realize i guess that it's achievable and and it's out there and so i just feel personally like i said responsible for for teaching that class i think that's a that's a much better slash optimistic responsibility that one could give themselves at the end of the day if if you're responsible at the end of the day is making sure that you end up giving back and make sure a lot of people get the chance to understand that this is a world that they could dive into. Like, I think that's a grander drive that anybody could have day to day. Um, the, the image I had in my head is that everybody is just basically a firework and you're just trying to light everything up. And I'm like, yeah, you're kind of, you're kind of doing all that. I mean, there's a py- pyromania side to it, but there's also the bit where it's like, everybody loves fireworks at the end of the day. So, <laughs> um, I'm really glad that you really get the time to do all that. When you're talking about like tutoring math though, were you um, covering like, I guess, all levels? Were you covering like all the way from like basic, basic grade elementary school stuff all the way to, I guess, like calculus? What did, what did that uh, content look like? Right. So when I was starting SAGEP, I was tutoring um, lower levels of math, like elementary school aged kids. And by the end of SAGEP, I was tutoring basically all SAGEP courses like physics, chemistry, and Cal. And then when I went on to university uh, and up until now, I was teaching just um, Cal 1, Cal 2, and linear algebra for the most part. And um, with that, again, I just feel like because I had such a good math teacher and before that, I didn't feel like I was good in math, you know, and then he completely changed my outlook. And now I just feel you know, when students come to me and they say, I don't get it, or they, I see in their eyes that they don't feel smart, or they don't feel, I don't know, you know, like they can do it, or frustrated and all that stuff. I just feel like such a responsibility to explain it to them in a way that's relatable and makes them understand and makes them realize, oh my God, I I thought this was difficult, but actually it's easy and I can do it. And so that's super rewarding. And like I said, I keep trying to walk away from tutoring just because it takes up so much of my time, but it's so rewarding at the end of the day that I just keep doing it. I keep finding a a free hour, a free two hours here and there, and I keep tutoring. I can't stop. Yeah, I'm gonna say you have a problem, but hey, I'm kidding. I do. <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Um, and one of the things that I actually find it really cool as well is that the target audience of when you're tutoring math is that these are always, I guess, outside of hours, or these are outside of their usual curriculum. So it's 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 a group of people that they don't necessarily have to do it, but it's the curiosity that really, I guess, makes your life easier. And then just having people. Having information stick to whoever's listening, I think that's always gratifying at the end of the day. So I do understand why you always get back to it. It's because like people are interested, and um, you know, a lot of stuff involves math nowadays. One of the thing uh, that actually just clicked in my mind is that when you're saying, "Oh yeah, even today, like studying, like you are doing a master's degree currently, if I'm not mistaken." Oh yeah. Oh my God, it goes on and on, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I am doing my master's in computer science. 
Um, I didn't do it after my undergrad because I just didn't feel like I, I wanted to. Like I said, I got a job right after school and it didn't really cross my mind to continue studying. And um, last year with the lockdown and stuff, I was like, you know, if there was ever a good time, I think it's now. So I just enrolled in it and I'm in my I'm in my second semester right now. Like, I've got so many questions. Like, where do I start? I don't. I know I've had so many questions to begin with, but um, one thing that I do know is a lot of people who have done a uh, undergrad degree and then they work a couple of years, like, they will ask themselves if they want to get back into, I guess, the, the academia, getting a master's degree at the end of the day. So I'm really, like, cool that you've done it and, like, just picking out your brain and throwing questions at you in terms of, like, how... I think that's probably the question. How do you get back into it? Is it like, what's the physical steps of getting into it? Do you have to like call them up and be like, oh, I want to get into it? Like, what what would the step if somebody, for example, me, wants to do it tomorrow? Yeah. So again, it's just funny because I never considered the, like, what would I do if I don't get in? You know, I just applied and I did get in, but I just, um, I had to write a cover letter and um, I had to submit, I think, my old transcripts from my undergrad. And in my cover letter, I mentioned that I had been working between my undergrad and now. And um, it wasn't more complicated than that. I just I, I just applied. I think that's super useful because my worry slash my thinking behind uh, having the work experience between your undergrad and your grad degree is that how do they keep track of if you've done well in between the years, right? If you've, if you've actually done anything useful. So was that was that a concern you had when you were applying for it? No, I, it wasn't a concern of mine. And I think maybe because I was tutoring, I still felt close to the school system, if that makes sense. So I didn't feel like it was going to be such a big change. It was just like, oh, I'm the student this time instead of tutoring students. So yeah, I didn't feel like completely alienated from it. And it was a pretty easy transition. That's actually really cool. And um, well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm just gonna say this because the thing is, like, if I had to rely on my transcript, I'd say like goodbye to master's degree. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of the thing is, uh, do they have like interviews before getting into or before being accepted into the master's program, or am I just like being too fictional? Yeah, not at all. At least not for computer science. Um, maybe some programs are more competitive, uh, but I also think that your transcript your transcript might not weigh as heavily as you think. I think a lot of people shy away from applying to certain programs because of their grades, but it really, it, it, it does matter, but I don't think it matters that much. You know, I mean, maybe if the program's full and, and you have the, the lowest grades, they'll, they'll not allow you, but I think it's worth trying, you know? Yeah, I do. I do appreciate that because uh, I do remember somebody else doing the same thing where they, I guess, they weren't expecting to get in, but then next thing you know, they're actually in there. So that is <laughs> a lot more relatable than people could think. Applying, I believe, cost about a hundred dollars. So you know, try. If you don't get in, you lose a hundred dollars, and and you move on. And I think just people having that closure would be worth that hundred dollars yeah, by itself exactly. at the end of the day. So. Um, what does uh, a day-to-day look like in terms of being part of a grad degree? I guess you said you're doing that part-time at the moment? Yeah, I'm in a part-time master's, which means instead of taking two courses per semester, I take one course per semester. And um, my in my last semester, the courses were recorded, so I would watch them on the weekends. But nowadays, they are recorded, but we also have to be present. So it's a little more challenging. Um, two days a week. I find myself with like two laptops side by side trying to do work and my master's. But other than that, it's pretty doable. You do know that's like really admirable at the end of the day. <laughs> um, just because I kept on saying this, that people usually when they get out of university, be like, I'm so glad I'm done with it. But then like you really are pushing yourself every day. And then you're seeing like the no limit barrier kind of thing where you really, I mean, and also when you're seeing like uh, these different semesters, how long is the program itself for the people that actually are considering doing it? Is it twice as long as uh, if you're doing it full time or? Yeah, so a regular master's is two years and you basically spend the first year taking two classes per semester. So two semesters a year, two classes per semester. It's four classes in your first year and your second year is spent doing your thesis. At least in in my program, I'm a thesis-based program. And in my case, because I'm a part-time student, it's going to take twice as long. So I'm going to spend the first two years taking classes and the last two years um, doing my thesis. 
Um, one thing I do want to pick onto uh, for the grad degree is, was it more or less expensive than an undergrad? I do know that like Canadians, especially like people that uh, live in Quebec, kind of kind of benefit off of this a bit. So can we throw out some numbers or something? Like, what does that look like in terms of the price for yeah. a uh, grad degree? A lot of people who are not in Canada right now are going to hate this. But per semester, because especially I'm taking one course per semester, it's about $1,000 per semester, which I think is so cheap. <laughs> it's crazy for school compared to some other places. So in total, it's going to cost me, I guess, about $4,000 for the four courses. Like that is unreal. Like I'll, sp- I'll speak for myself for as somebody who has gone through like the, the education system in, in Quebec and Montreal, like, yeah, we, we do benefit a lot of it. Like when we talk about CJ, that costs like a hundred, 200 bucks for the whole year or something like that's outrageous. Uh, but then, like, even when I'm talking about these university degrees and then master's degrees of, like, $4,000, I'll take it any day. I feel dumb not doing it right now. It's not too late to to sign up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have it pulled up, actually. So, <laughs> um, I think uh, what was actually really, I guess, for, for the comparison is that I do know that some boot camps are even more expensive than that. I do know that some, I guess, like programs that don't span i mean the length of a program is not determining of how much it's worth slash how much it costs but i do know that if yeah. you want different i guess comparisons like some boot camps are quite expensive and also like if we look at it from like a, an objective point of view this is like the perry lens right now where it's like if i had this amount of money and where'd i put into it i think like getting a yeah. master's degree is a very appealing route at the moment so hey you never know and the nice thing about it is you're really gonna be choosing courses you're interested in it's not like Sejap where you have to take some classes that you don't want to be taking. It's really like you have a list of classes and if you're interested in, I don't know, machine learning, you take a machine learning course. If you're interested in NLP, you take an NLP course. Like it's very, like you get to personalize it, I guess. So it's very worth it, you know? I think that's actually a good point is uh, the, the word that came into my mind when you mentioned that is, I guess, more creative freedom. I don't know. I don't know if yeah. that makes any sense, but it's probably yeah. because like, day to day for the past couple of years at least like everything that we've probably been looking at is super technical so a lot of like your day-to-day work or your day-to-day other problems are like you know you end up finding a very objective solution to it but then when you talk about this like realm of being able to write your own thesis right that's a lot of creative freedom in terms of how you want to approach it and how you want to make it look like at the end of the day so I think that's probably what missing in this yin and yang of working in software engineering yeah they also offer a like, so you could take a thesis-based master's or you could take what's called a professional master's where you just take more courses and no thesis. And so I believe that kind of closes the door for if you want to continue on to a PhD. But if you're just interested in getting a master's, the professional master's is a great option. That's actually something I had no idea about. So yeah. At the end of the day, this podcast, this sorry, this podcast is for myself and I just want to learn more stuff. Forget about anybody <laughs> listening. This is just for me. <laughs> That is actually really cool. One thing that uh, I do actually want to dive into a little bit more is the the coding classes. I love the word just because, like, I guess, like, the relatability that I have for the past couple of years is that sometimes at work I would just run these, like, very basic HTML classes where you teach somebody how, like, an A tag works or something. So, like, that's in my head what a coding class looked like. Is that kind of the approach that you took in terms of, like, did you pick a technology and, like, go, go I guess, from very basic level all the way to the end? Or what kind of structure did you have for... Uh, tackling coding classes so I was so lucky I I work with a tutoring school for the to teach the coding class and they let me basically design it how I wanted to design it and I ended up making it sort of like a comp 202 so kind of like the intro to coding course at McGill but I added a little bit of computer science general knowledge I guess so you really like if you're going to be taking that course you're going to end up learning the basics of coding, but also how to think a little bit like a computer scientist. And I try also to make it as relatable as possible because I don't want people to take the course and feel like, you know, I don't want them to think it's unachievable. It's very, I want it to be fun at the end of the day. So I think I mix all those elements together and it makes for a really fun course. That's great. I think that's really important just because like them having that in the back of their mind and having yeah. Uh, I guess the exposure of a little bit more than just doing stuff, but understanding why or like the 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 computer science behind it. Like maybe down the line, a computer is like, I remember like somebody mentioning that. I think that is really cool that you're able to squeeze that into coding classes that yes, you're, I mean, a lot of focus is like on the practical side and how to do stuff at the end of the day, but understanding why is probably equally as important. 
Um, shout out to Comp202, actually. I do remember that was one of the class I took before I actually got into the computer science degree. So really, really going down memory lane yeah. right here with Comp202. Yeah. Um, and for these coding classes, uh, what... What is the, I guess, age range of people that you work with uh, when, when you're giving those classes? Is it some always somebody who's, like, I guess, during school, or is it just any kind of people that you would expect them to be in those classes? It could be anybody. You know, it's really, like, it's from basics, basics. So you don't have to have a single ounce of knowledge in advance. That's the point, really. It's just to expose people who have no prior exposure to coding for them to come in and see, like, is this for me or not, you know? Uh, so there's no background in computer science required whatsoever. And the range of students that I've been getting, like age range, is mostly stage up. But again, it could it could be anybody. And that's great, because I think that's really the, uh, I guess, the age where you're, you as in like a CJEP level, <laughs> CJEP age person, yeah. um, have enough, like, Knowledge. What I mean by knowledge, I don't mean like school knowledge. I mean like street knowledge to understand like the difference between how you could use it in real life kind of thing. Um, these are kind of like the practical, you know how, how people say like doing taxes or whatever. Like those are like, I guess, more street life knowledge at the end than uh, school knowledge. So I feel like this approach of exposing them to, I guess, the world of software engineering at that age comes into that category. And that is really cool because you can imagine like the snowballing effect that would have, I guess, down the line at the end of the day. So... <laughs> Um, one of the other bit that I love hearing about is, I guess, what are the different advice you would have for people that wants to start teaching or start tutoring other people that wants to, you know, find a way to, I guess, give information back to people that uh, kind of want to go through the same path as you did? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I'm really happy you asked that. I feel, um, especially in math and computer science, it's hard to find good tutors and teachers because it just it comes with the you know most people who who enjoy computer science and math and I'm generalizing don't strike me as the type of people who um would would like enjoy teaching it I don't know it's it's just the type of personality if you think back to high school for example English teachers are so you know sociable and love to teach and then a lot of our, you know, memories of our math teachers could be like, maybe they were a little more of the quiet type. Maybe, you know, they would walk in, teach and walk out. And, th and that was my experience. And again, I'm generalizing, but it's, you know, when you get to these sort of like hard sciences, it's hard to find, you know, the type of people who are both good at it and enjoy teaching it. So I feel anybody who is in these fields and feels like teaching, you should definitely give it a try. It's super it's super rewarding. And if you do want to get into it, it's easy. You know, you start uh, when I was starting out, I would put ads on Kijiji and I would meet people at the library and I would tutor them and then they would tell their friends. And that's how I kind of built up my initial network of students. Now um, it's a lot easier for me to find students because most, most people who know me have a friend who needs tutoring. And that's how I kind of continue to tutor. And um, yeah, it's easy to get started in. I would say, um when you're when you're initially teaching make sure you know the material really well because some of us feel just because we've taken cal for example that we can teach it but there's a lot of nuances that you need to refresh yourself on and and then other than that just you know be approachable be really nice and and try to relate to your students get them to like you and then they'll listen to you and, and then you can have a successful career as a tutor yeah i think that's definitely something that uh everybody could learn off of um, one experience leads to another in terms of like, yes, if you start with tutoring one person, it ends up being like a good experience of tutoring. And then next thing you know, you could apply it for the next one. Then like next thing you know, you're just have a system going on that really benefits a lot of people really quickly. So I think like when you're talking about this kind of growing up in terms of being able to knowing what works and what's the best way of giving back, uh, those are super great advice for anybody who wants to get into it. So, um, I guess, like, where can people find you? Well, like, you know, people want to follow a lot of, sorry, a lot of your cool stuff because you do do a lot of cool stuff nowadays. So, yeah, where can people find you? I have a website that I recently made for, like, math resources. It's still kind of under construction, but it's called girlsjustwannahavefunctions.ca. So it's not want to have functions, it's wanna. And um, on that website, you can 
eventually there will be like math resources but right now you can actually just if you have a math question you can email it to free solutions at girls just want to have functions.ca the email address is on the website and uh, I'll respond with them um, with your solved question so right now that's my web presence and yeah I'd be happy to answer any questions on the website that is amazing well hey this has been quite a journey in terms of learning a lot about everything because you really do do everything at the end of the day. So just want to say a big thank you for being on the show. You do a lot of cool stuff too. You have your engineering job plus the podcast. So look who's talking. Yeah, um, I plug myself enough every day. So I'm kidding. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. really, really appreciate you, know, you being on the show and uh, I'll catch you guys on the next one. Thank you so much.